Hey, welcome to another episode. This episode is for everyone. Anybody who wants to improve their health or performance, this covers it all. There's a very big link between health and performance called oxygen in the cells. And I'm going to talk you through why it matters so much to every symptom, every issue of fatigue, every issue for recovering from exercise, to backing up and performing the next day, to getting the most out of yourself on race day. Every aspect of health at the highest level, at the very the end game of everything to do with how you feel in terms of how much energy is produced and from what pathways, be that efficient pathways or pathways that create more stress, relies on the amount of oxygen being used in the mitochondria. So I'm going to talk about cellular oxygen. That's the key phrase that I'm going to use for what we are trying to achieve. We're trying to achieve higher rates of cellular oxygen because the mitochondria are in their many, many numbers within the cells. And so I'm just going to call it cellular oxygen levels. That's what we're aiming for. We want more of that. I'm going to talk about what inhibits it and more so what is occurring within energy production when the oxygen isn't getting in. What are these other factors that may be disrupting your math heart rate? When you're trying to train aerobically, but you're not. So let's say you've got a very high amount of inflammation or have had chronic inflammation for a long time. You have no aerobic base. You haven't been exercising aerobically. Your inflammation has prevented oxygen getting in. And now you're at a point where your tolerance to carbon dioxide is meaning there's not a lot of oxygen getting in. I'm going to take a step back now. That was the intro, a bit long of an intro, but now I'm going to take a step back and explain more of that about why it matters, how it matters, what can we do about it to get fitter without actually changing anything else that we're doing except to focus on how we breathe. And then I'm going to throw in a few other lifestyle factors as well that also affect how much oxygen is getting through. So it's really interesting, but I'm going to try and keep it brief from now. And I'm going to try and explain everything clearly so that the main thing you take away from this is that the more aerobic the environment in your body, in your cells, I should say, the more aerobic the environment in your cells, the healthier and fitter you are. Basically, that means aerobic is a sliding scale from aerobic to anaerobic. And just like burning ox, uh, fat, which is using is a more aerobic environment, and carbs is a less aerobic environment, same with oxygen. It's a sliding scale. You're always using some of both. So you are always being a tiny bit anaerobic. There's always a couple of little pathways that are just triggering. So as you start to exercise, your lactate will build up. But it will build up very, very slowly, and, and it won't actually continue to build up when you're in a nice, comfortable, aerobic level of exercise. But it's still there. And lactate is a result of an anaerobic uh, energy production reaction. So there's always some, always some aerobic and anaerobic, always some fat and glucose. 
But what we're aiming for is to be more aerobic. So the more aerobic that we can create in our cells, the healthier and fitter we will be. So let's use an example of inflammation, changing that day to day. There's been lots of studies showing poor sleep will mean someone will perform less well the next day, whether it's skill-based or athletic-based, physical-based, fitness-based. And you can do that test for yourself, whether it's poor sleep or whether you just had drinks the night before, too many drinks, ate lots of cakes and sugars and those sorts of meals, pastas. The next day, you will be less tolerant to carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide, as I've mentioned many times, allows higher levels of oxygen. The higher level of carbon dioxide you can tolerate, the higher level of oxygen it exchanges with. So low carbon dioxide tolerance, which basically means you can't hold your breath for very long, then there's low levels of oxygen getting into the cells. This is the key factor for fitness and health, is are you able to get oxygen into the cells 24 hours a day, seven days a week at a better level than you did yesterday. If you want to adapt, if you want to improve health and fitness, this is a key marker that improves everything. Now, if you listen to the podcast recently with Naraj about aerobic capacity, about the need for getting oxygen in, that if you hyperventilate, all your health symptoms will get worse. Everything everything degrades, whether it be a chronic issue or an acute issue, it will get worse if you hyperventilate because hyperventilation is expelling all the carbon dioxide very quickly. That means there's no carbon dioxide to exchange with oxygen. Well, there's very, very little. And so therefore you feel lightheaded, you feel weak. And when there's no oxygen getting through, There's a very anaerobic environment in your cells. That anaerobic environment will create worse symptoms of everything that you are experiencing. So imagine now that you're not hyperventilating, but you go and exercise well above your math and you've already been experiencing chronic inflammation previously to make this obvious. So you have a very low tolerance of carbon dioxide. So your fitness levels are low. So you have become accustomed to quite short, shallower breaths. You're not used to holding your breath and you don't like to hold your breath because it doesn't take long for it to be very uncomfortable. And you don't like to be uncomfortable when it comes to how you breathe. Your tolerance is very, very low mentally and physically. The responses occur quickly because it's happening in your brain. So the same trigger of your diaphragm having higher levels of CO2 and lower levels uh, of oxygen, but mainly the higher levels of CO2 are what triggers your diaphragm to want to breathe. It's that sort of twitch in your stomach that you get. So if you exhale and hold your breath out, don't breathe in again, It's the carbon dioxide triggering that. And the same thing for your brain. Your brain is sensing the same response of high levels of carbon dioxide. So it has an emotional response as well. So your tolerance comes from both your mental and physical responses and your tolerances are very low. 
So what you think is normal when you do go for a jog, let's say, and you have been chronic illness, you have very low tolerance of CO2, even if your math heart rate, 180 minus your age, is what you're running at, your breathing will be very short and shallow and rapid, which is very different to somebody who is fitter and healthier, less inflammation, has higher CO2 tolerance. They run at their math. Their breathing is very controlled, high CO2 levels, a high CO2 tolerance, and therefore they have high levels of oxygen getting in. Therefore, at their math, it is a much more aerobic environment in the mitochondria and the cells. So there's a lot less byproducts of stress. There's a lot less anaerobic energy production going on, such as lactate, such as glucose. So you're far from the scale of aerobic. You're much more anaerobic, even if you're at your math, if your breathing is short and shallow. Because you can create this anaerobic environment by sitting there and just hyperventilating. Now, you may not be hyperventilating per se, but maybe your breathing is shorter and shallower all the time. Now, a little anecdote. I've done this over the years, many, many years. Um, It was probably a few years ago when I last really said, right, for a month, I'm going to work on limiting my breathing before I go to sleep at night and really boost my carbon dioxide levels for, you know, several minutes before sleeping. And that's what I did. And I had an oximeter, measured it. And if you've seen the podcast or the YouTube and listened to the podcast with Patrick McEwen that we've done or read his book, you'll kind of know what I'm talking about. That you practice limiting your breathing so the carbon dioxide levels increase and you get more comfortable with this uncomfortable feeling of having higher CO2 levels. I did this for a couple of weeks to a month. In the pool, I noticed a huge difference. I was breathing every four at a hard effort in the pool. Now, I haven't swum. I've probably swum three times in the last uh, year and a bit, you know, since... March, April in uh, of 2020, and we did an ocean swim the other day, and I swam quite solid, just trying to catch the guys that I or the girls and guys that I gave a bit of a head start to, and I was breathing every five, because although I haven't been doing that designated section of breathing at night before bed like I did years ago, when I sit there in the car, when I sit there at work, when I'm at the computer, I practice limiting my breathing just for short moments throughout the day. And those short moments may end up being longer and longer moments because it's one of those things, like I said, as you get more adapted to something, you can do it more easily. So for example, when you're unhealthy and there's lots of inflammation, then you're, it's only like short couple of seconds before you're uncomfortable and you don't like feeling uncomfortable for very long. Whereas when you get fitter, you can make yourself tolerate a higher level of your tolerance more easily for longer. So maybe I am increasing my tolerance. Well, I must be because like I said, I went swimming, breathing every five at a pretty solid effort out in the ocean. And it's just from like the last few weeks of noticeably reducing my breathing throughout the day. So I was quite surprised myself because I, like I said, previously I'd got down to every four 
breaths and thought that was quite good. Now I'm doing every five as if I'm swimming normally. Um, so that's quite cool. So let's say, go back to the example of, I don't think I finished it, of having lots of drinks and pasta the night before. That inflammation that occurs from causing extra stress. So obviously, poor food, poor diet, poor drinks, increase stress in your body. And poor sleep means you don't remove much stress from your body. So the next day, if you exhaled and did a breath hold, your number, your time before you triggered to have a strong urge to breathe would be much, much shorter. So that's why maybe after you, if you eat a really big meal and then try to exercise, you're going to feel more lethargic because even that meal, the inflammation from that meal, and I'm not saying don't ever eat, like there's nothing wrong with some inflammation at some time and eating anything to excess, even super healthy foods are going to potentially cause a little bit of inflammation or it's just the fact that the blood's going to the gut and therefore there's less blood going to the muscles as well. So there's less oxygen getting through. Either way, what there's a combination of things happening that is reducing the oxygen into the muscles. So whether it be from systemic inflammation from something you have done or whether it be from an acute inflammatory response or whether it just be because the blood is in the gut or whether it be because you have been hyperventilating a bit. Like, so if you're talking a lot, and I encourage my clients, like if they've got a job where they have to talk quite a bit, that after you've had that conversation, to take some time to limit your breathing. Or if it's somebody else's turn to breathe, take a moment to nose breathe and just retain a little bit more of that CO2. So in between those long bouts of expelling air constantly, and those short, sharp breaths of talking. Take some time to hold back some CO2 so that you can build those levels of oxygen back in the cells and return very, very quickly back to a more aerobic environment in the cells. So this aerobic environment in the cells, this higher cellular oxygen levels is what we're trying to improve. And it's not just muscle cells that this matters to. This is your gut lining. This is your intestines. This is your glands, your organs, your skin. Every cell in your body, other than red blood cells, has got mitochondria in it, which are producing energy. So every cell in your body has the potential to be more aerobic or more anaerobic. And it's up to you to help and assist with it being more aerobic because there is no doubt in any science that being more aerobic improves your health and your fitness is a bonus. So the first thing that you do, uh, somebody tells you to do if there's an acute or a chronic illness and you end up with uh, in the emergency department is to breathe slowly and they put some oxygen into your breath. They put a mask over you that has more oxygen in it. But the first thing is to breathe slowly and slow down your breathing. If you are panicking, if you're short, sharp breaths because of pain, the first thing to do to decrease the re response of your body to pain, to improve the recovery, to improve all aspects of your health, to get further away from 
that that bit of pain and problem becoming something like a heart attack or something worse is to be more aerobic in every cell of your body. So you could see how things occur. And as Professor Grant Schofield talked about how the day after daylight savings, when people lose that hour of sleep, there's more heart attacks. And it's very simply because if you lose some sleep, there's more stress in the body still. And the stress is what will one of the factors that inhibits oxygen getting through to the mitochondria. So that's why things are harder after you've put more stress into the body, whether it's from bad food, whether it's from oxidative stress from exercising, whether it's from poor sleep, whether it's from working out too hard in the gym, all of these factors increase stress and therefore decrease oxygen. So if you... Let's now put it into practice of exercising at math. What is going on there that you can improve your ability to get fitter from a fairly unhealthy base? So what you want to be able to do is to build up that tolerance to CO2. Because without that getting uncomfortable with your breathing, that hunger for air, you will never progress. And then the rest of the day, you will go back. So if you've been overtrained or you've had a chronic illness, what's happened is that your body has adapted to an anaerobic environment. So it has adapted everything. All of its pathways are so strong and your tolerance to CO2 is so low, you have trained your body to be and live in an anaerobic environment. And the problem is you're right on the knife edge of being able to produce energy or what's happening is every time you're producing energy, you're producing more stress from the anaerobic energy production than you can keep on top of clearing out. So you're stuck in this cycle and the only way to get out of it for you could be potentially that you need to increase your carbon dioxide tolerance. You need to get a little more comfortable with an uncomfortable hunger for air. And this does not need to be hours a day. Like I said, I've been doing it minutes a day. Notice a big difference. But a good time to do it is after you notice that there has been a lower oxygen through your body. So it is maybe it's after you've eaten. That's why eating and being mindful and keeping your body calm and present and relaxed and not anxious is because that's another overloading factor. Being anxious, stressed, all of those things change heart rate and breathing patterns. Well, your heart rate is just a response to what is occurring in your cells. So heart rate is not causing anything. It is the response to how much oxygen your cells are trying to get in, how much carbon dioxide are they trying to get out. So a low resting heart rate means, or a high resting heart rate, means that your cells are at their tolerance to CO2 like all the time. So their tolerance is really low. A low resting heart rate means you're really aerobically fit and your cells 
are never stressed about how much carbon dioxide is building up. They're comfortably doing that at the exchange really easily all the time. And so you're in a more aerobic environment because there's that comfort. It's a lower heart rate. So the heart rate is a good sign of what how aerobic you are, but it's not the defining factor of if you are aerobic or not aerobic. As you improve your aerobic capacity, it means you can actually go harder and increase the output of your heart to more muscles, to more blood flow areas, but you can still be burning fat and keep that uh, oxygen, that environment really aerobic. But it is a very good guide. But it is about your breathing that is the best uh, signal for you to follow as to how aerobic or not you are. So back to being aerobic while exercising, you do need to keep a little bit, whenever you can, whether you're at the gym, whether you're sitting there at work, when you're riding the bike, just be mindful of your breath that you are not over-breathing. So don't make it uncomfortable all the time. Just do that in the safe space of sitting at home and things like that. But when you're out exercising, don't be over-breathing. Put a limit on yourself. Okay, I'm going to stay aware. That may mean for you that you are only nose-breathing. That's a really good sign. If you've got clear nasal passages, great. If you don't, there's a few tricks to open them up. Otherwise, breathe through your mouth if your nose is just, you know, terrible like mine was before I got it all straightened and cleared out. But use breathing as a tool to increase your aerobic capacity without actually training more. So build that tolerance to CO2 like I did and you will notice when you get back in the pool, wow, I don't need to breathe as often anymore. It's just amazing because your body can tolerate CO2, which means you're not triggered to breathe as quickly, as rapidly. And so everything changes. Then you can start to make steps forward. You can start to get more oxygen in in a more aerobic environment. So you're more tolerant of other foods. Because imagine when you eat, like people haven't put this together yet, but I've just put it together recently. So when you eat, you lower oxygen in your cells and if you add when you eat to then another stressful experience or some more bad food or like I said lots of talking a late night boom there's a bunch of things that have over an extended period lowered your cellular oxygen levels and therefore you've been more anaerobic and that anaerobic environment has therefore caused more stress and it's going to take you a little while to get back to being aerobic So what is it about, you could say, look, all these things about fasting and insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance and carb tolerance, all of these things, the factor that is they are measuring off is the cellular oxygen. So if you are insulin resistant, if you are carbohydrate intolerant, as in your blood sugars stay up a long time and your insulin stays up a long time, those two factors are lowering the oxygen that's getting through to your cells for a longer period of time. That's why you can eat the same foods as somebody who's healthier, but because you have a longer period of an anaerobic environment, 
after eating those foods because that other person was healthier. They had a better baseline of carbon dioxide tolerance, a better baseline of aerobic capacity, a better baseline of aerobic cells. They were able to tolerate it easier. So yes, it didn't stay, their blood sugars didn't stay up as long. So they had a shorter period of being anaerobic. And then afterwards, maybe they had no period from the food of being anaerobic. But an unhealthy person can have a very long period of being anaerobic. Hence why, you know, diabetics do get such circulatory problems in their limbs and may end up having to be amputated. The key to life is oxygen. Every living thing on our planet needs oxygen. And our cells have evolved over billions of years to need oxygen. In fact, the only reason that they ever grew from nothing from bacteria and then we got these cells was because oxygen became available in our environment. So that is the key at the very, very top of the chain that links everything together that you do in your lifestyle is how am I either inhibiting or helping my cellular oxygen levels? So there's so many lifestyle factors. There's so many different foods, different ways of eating um, that could be affecting this, different ways of exercising, different ways of breathing, as I've mentioned, such a huge one. Different ways of thinking. So your mindset obviously controls your anxieties. Your anxieties control your hormones and your hormones can also affect whether it's a more aerobic or anaerobic environment in your cells as well. So keep working towards putting this picture together in your mind in what is happening in my body. What is the overload? Have I had too many things? Have I done too many things? Have I not slept enough that I can't now add another thing on top of that? Lots of people use HRV to measure how they feel in the morning, which is heart rate variability. It's quite large, big thing. Everyone loves the data. Everyone loves tracking it. But the best way to track how you feel in the morning is to do a breath hold. Exhale out and then just test how long it takes before you start to get that hunger for air. On a day where there's more inflammation, that number will be lower. You can also do it pacing around the block. Just go for a walk. Count how many steps before you have that hunger for air and need to breathe in again. So that's the very basic overview. Um, I hope this has helped you understand a little bit more about maybe why you haven't been progressing if you've been sticking to math. Why you haven't been progressing when you've stuck to the same foods. What's going on? Why isn't there progression in your overall health and resilience in your body? And it is purely because the cellular oxygen levels are not high enough, which is coming from constant inflammation and or a low tolerance for carbon dioxide that needs to be focused on and really worked towards. So we need that oxygen in to turn around this anaerobic environment so that we can reduce the inflammation that's building up each day and we can get on the road to feeling awesome. So I hope that makes sense. I'd love to chat to it, to you about your personal journey. I'd love to give you a consultation. I'd love to work with you for an extended period. It all depends on where you're starting from. 
So clients that have had chronic energy issues, chronic fatigue type issues, chronic illnesses and medications and things like that, it the, the time frame that we work on is around 12 weeks to turn around as much as we can through diet and reducing inflammation, sleep patterns, mindset, those sort of influences, bit of exercise where we can. Then we work through these sort of breathing, increasing oxygen type techniques as the, as the energy levels increase and the mindset allows change and is open to change. And then we work on optimizing where we can then start to gain back your health and energy through increasing exercise, through being more resilient, through really taking mindset tips and tricks to the next level, or you know where you're at and you just want 90 minute consult and we can cover all your questions in 90 minutes. I love working with both types of clients just as much. So it'd be great to hear from you and we'll sort out if you know I'm the right fit for you. So let's just have a quick call to work out that, uh, the details and get to know each other. So thanks for listening to this episode. It's a passion of mine figuring out for you what is energy? How can we get more of it? How can we get our health back? And how can we improve our fitness and performance? Thanks for listening, guys. Catch you later. Bye.